Well, good morning. I'm glad to see you here for the second worship time at North Fort Worth. I am the pastor's father. 1967, when the pastor was five years old, I became pastor. Not here at this location, but over on the old north side section of North Fort Worth. You go over to Billy Bob's place, and it's not far from there where we, we began, and we were there 10 years. And uh, Stephen is so gracious to let us come back once in a while. One of the sad things about coming back is that in our absence, God promotes some from this congregation, and we miss them. We miss faces and names and people that we've known and loved across the years. But we're so glad that you're here. And I, I've been asked by Stephen if, if I would uh, speak to the first of those values that, uh, that was mentioned in the film, and that is that, that our true life is in Jesus. Uh, everything's built on that. Jesus is central to everything in our personal lives and in our community together. Jesus is everything. Now, these are sort of gibbons. I told the earlier congregation about uh, my uncle who lives in Nashville. He's older than I am, so just a little younger than Noah. But um, he's a retired university professor and administrator. And he called me not long ago and said, D.L., I've got a question for you. Do you know the givens of the Christian faith? Well, I said, I've been preaching 65 years. I, I, I suspect I know some of them, but I don't know what you have in mind. Well, he said, let me tell you. He said, the first one's this. It's a given that Jews do not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. I said, okay, yeah. Second one, he said, it's a given that Baptists and Protestants do not recognize the Pope as the head of the church. I said, yeah, I understand that. He said, it's a given that Baptists do not recognize each other at Hooters or the liquor store. <laughs> that may be that you're more liberated down here than we are out in West Texas, but most Baptists are, they're a little uncomfortable when they go to the liquor store. I hope you are, but anyway, that's not my sermon this morning. My assignment is to talk with you about these, these things that guide us, these values, that our true life is found in Jesus. Now, as I looked at your, your statement, your value, I just instinctively wanted to add a word. Now, 
pastor didn't give me authority to change the value statement of the church, but I will at least add this into your understanding of that statement. I hope you'll add it in your thinking about the statement. The word is alone. Jesus is our true life. Our life is in him alone. He's not one of the places where we find life. He's not one of the options for our world. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Apart from him, there is no life. <clears throat> I began to search my mind and wonder, now, what text can I find in Scripture that will help me implant this into the minds of the people? And I thought of several's, but finally I felt my heart drawn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17. It's one of the epical events in the life of Jesus. It's called the transfiguration of Jesus. It took place on a mountain. It took place six days after a significant conversation that he'd had with the 12 about what was going to happen when they arrived in Jerusalem. They were on their way for his last visit and death in Jerusalem. Would you find it in your copy of the scriptures? Uh, I know we don't have light in here. Were you going to put it on the screen? Okay, I, I don't know. Stand anyway. Let's reverence the word of God and let me read it from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verse 1. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led him up on a high mount, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes were as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Ah, while, we, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus 
only. And thus we read the word of God. You may be seated. Peter and the two brothers, James and John, were among the first followers of Jesus. They were Galilean fishermen. John the Baptist first introduced them to Jesus in the first chapter of John's gospel. And they'd come to know Jesus. And these three became something of the inner circle. They were the ones that Jesus would take aside, take with him into special circumstances. And that's what he does here. He takes these three men, not because they're superior to the others, but maybe because they're more needy than the others. At least Peter had a lot of needs still in his understanding, as is reflected in the chapter before. And he takes them up to a high mountain. The scholars debate about which mountain it was up in northern Israel. Uh, I think we need to see in this a comparison. Remember Moses went up on a mountain, Mount Sinai, and there he saw God. Well, Peter and James and John go with Jesus up to another mountain, not Sinai, but there they encounter God. And while they're there, the things that happen to them should have been transformative. They should never have had another doubt, but they did. But on that, on that mountain, on that day, they came face to face with some new understandings and realities about Jesus. Same ones we need to encounter and same things we need to understand. Things that need to become really, when you talk about our life is in Jesus as being your first value, well, really, without that one, none of the rest of the matter. This is foundational to everything else. It's in him that we live. It's in him that we're complete. It's in him that we have everything that we need for living life and serving God. There are three things in this passage as I think with you about the place of Jesus in our faith. Three things. Here's the first one. This transfiguration was a revelation of the true nature of Jesus. There was more to Jesus than Peter and James and John had ever imagined. Oh, they knew he was different. But they knew he was a man. He was human like them. He ate food like they did. He got thirsty and drank like they did. He got weary and slept like they did. He had struggles along the way like they did. They had no question. He's one of us, though he's different, but he's a man. 
But there was more to Jesus than their understanding had grasped. And it was while Jesus was praying, we find in Luke's gospel, Luke always takes note of the prayers of Jesus. It was while on that mountain, Jesus was praying. He was communing with the Father, probably about the desperate days that were just ahead. And while he is praying, suddenly, unexpectedly, from within him, there came a brightness to his face. Not a glow like uh, Moses had on his face when he came down from the mountain. It was like the sun. Can you imagine that? His face was gleaming like the sun, a penetrating brilliance about it. And they looked upon his face. What was happening is down in the core of his being, Jesus was God in human flesh. For most of his days on earth, except for this occasion, that was hidden, hidden behind his, his humanity. But that which was on the inside began to be manifest in his face and in his whole body. In fact, his whole body was gleaming and bright as the sun because it, it changed the garments, uh, the clothing that he wore, and they'd never seen anything as white as the garments that were on Jesus. It was God, God in him, God the Son, manifesting himself through the humanity of Jesus. It was the desire of the Father that when James and Peter and John went down from this mountain, they would know in their hearts as they marched with him on to Jerusalem that he was man, but that he was more than a man that he was the God-man, not con some kind of monstrosity. He was one person with two natures, a human nature which came from the body he received in the womb of Mary, and a divine nature that had been his from all eternity because he is the eternal Son of God. He did not become the Son of God at Bethlehem, he became the Son of God. He'd been eternally begotten as the Son of the Father, the only begotten of the Father. And that's his nature. That's who he is. So it's not presumptuous. If we, if we put up top, right up at the top of our values, our number one value is our life is in Jesus. All life is in him. He is God. He is the eternal. He is the living God. He's God the Son. And in him and from him that life can flow into us. And you put that into your mind and you think about it. In other words, he is the great I am. Here's the way John described it in his gospel. We beheld his glory as of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. 
When Peter wrote about this mountain experience in his epistle, he talked about seeing his majesty. He understood what it meant when he's talking about seeing the kingdom before you die because there on the mountain he saw the majesty of the king who will be enthroned and is enthroned in God's eternal kingdom. Jesus, the man, the God-man, is revealed to us in his true nature in this incident. In fact, the Father made sure we understood that. Because he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But the second thing, we need to see in this incident, this transformation, this transfiguration, we need to see as well uh, the encouragement that came to his followers. They needed encouragement. I mean, he'd been talking about going to Jerusalem, being handed over to the Gentiles and being crucified. And Peter, that didn't cogitate with him. He, he had no, no place for death in the agenda of Jesus. He needed an enlarged perspective, as did James and John. And then there's Moses and Elijah. They aren't there on the mountain. And uh, one of the other Gospels tells us that as he talked with them, that they talked with him about his exodus. That's the Greek word that's used. They talked with him about his imminent death. I mean, think about it. These two men, Moses, the great lawgiver, I mean, the one who carried the Ten Commandments down from the mountain. Moses, who led the children of Israel for 40 years. Elijah, the prophet in the days of Ahab and Jezebel and northern Israel. Faithful, faithful soldier, but one who faltered and even found a place, a tree, and asked God to let him die when he became so discouraged. But the one who called fire down from a, he's, he's the greatest of the non-writing prophets in the Old Testament. Here they are, the law and the prophets, and they're here to talk with Jesus about his exodus. You need to understand something. They had as much at stake in the death of Jesus as we do. I mean, they were in heaven on credit. See, those Old Testament people like Moses, like Elijah, they had the promises God began in Genesis 3.15 to unfold a series of promises about the coming Messiah, the Son of God, and that he would become the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. They looked forward and put their faith in that coming Messiah. But if Jesus faltered, didn't make it to Jerusalem, didn't die on Pilate's cross, wasn't buried in Joseph's tomb. 
they lose their place in heaven. They're their own credit. They needed somebody to pay their debt so they could stay there. I wonder what they were saying to Jesus. They may have been saying, don't turn back. Finish what you've started. Don't listen to your disciples who are telling you that that's not the right thing. It is the will of the Father that you go to Jerusalem. But think of how much these two, these three disciples, James and John and Peter, the encouragement this should have been for them. But it wasn't. It's amazing. It's amazing how slow we are in our natural fallen condition. I mean, they saw firsthand with their own eyes the deity and the glory of the Son of God. And then Peter denied him that he never knew him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? It ought to be our encouragement. I, I know, I know, in our world, they mock us out there when we tell them Jesus is our life, Jesus is our hope. We are his people. We are his servants. They say, you're what? We're his servants. They mock him. But we know something they don't know. They're still in the darkness. They don't know that light has come into the world and it's been manifest in the person and in the life of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. Our hope and our courage is anchored and in him alone. But there's a third word. Let me use the word exclusive. That's an offensive word. That's the thing that turns the world off. They say, you Christians, you act like nobody knows God but you. Well, that's not our claim, but we do claim we know the only God that there is, and that he's fully revealed himself in Jesus, his son. There is no other God, no other God except the God revealed in Jesus. That's, that's exclusive. That means that excludes all of the false gods of the Romans and the Greeks and the barbarians and the Russians and the Chinese and the whomever, whomever, the academics, uh, the whomever, whomever. There is no other God except our God, and he's revealed in Jesus Christ. There's an exclusivity to him, particularly in his revelation of the Father. Do you remember what Jesus told Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. The Father and the Son are one. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one substance. Three persons. 
one substance, one essence. And when you, when they saw Jesus, they saw the Father. He's not like the Father. He's the manifestation of the reality of the Father. He is God. Now, <laughs> read the scripture, read these gospels with confidence. This is He. You'll get no better word from God about Himself than what He spoke in Jesus. Read Hebrews chapter 1. He spoke in other days, in other ways, but in our day, he's spoken in the Son, Jesus. Exclusive. Exclusive in his qualification to do the work assigned him. Do you know why the Father sent him? Remember his name? His name is Jesus. What does that name mean? It means Yeshua saves. Jehovah Yahweh saves. It means he's come to be the Savior. What is required in order for him to be the Savior? He must be a lamb without spot and without blemish. How do you define that? Define it like this. He must live a human life by leaning on the strength that the Spirit provides that will be without sin and without blemish, upon which the Father can make the pronouncement, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And just days before he goes to Jerusalem to die, the Father says, I'm well pleased. I'm well pleased. He's done everything perfectly. He's done everything right. He's the only one. <laughs> oh, Lord, help us to understand. He's the only one that could pay the price for Moses and Elijah and for D.L. and Alice, for Steve and Debbie, for you. The only one. We have nothing to offer to God. We're all by nature and by practice sinners. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He's the only one that could bear the burden of our sins and die for us. Church, do you understand that? That's what you mean when you make as your value life as we know it and have it is in Jesus. Life is in him because he took our death, was raised from the dead. And because he lives, we live with him forever. Are you with me? One other word about that exclusivity. Not only that, but there's exclusive authority in him. Did you hear what the father said? The Father said to James and John and Peter, 
hear him. Not Moses, not Elijah. Hear him. He is my voice. He is my word. He is my word. He is my word. Hear him, believe him, trust him, and obey him. <laughs> He'll later say after his resurrection in Matthew 28 uh, <laughs> that the Father has given to me all authority in heaven and in earth. <laughs> Do you know where authority rests in North Fort Worth Baptist Church? Not in Stephen and David and Stuart and Caleb and staff. No. no. Not in the deacons. Not in the congregation. All authority is in him. You have no will but to do his will. That's it. That's it. And if you're to have a future, you must anchor your life and your obedience to his authority. And whatever he says, do it. Do it. And when you do it, he turns the water to wine like happened in John chapter 2. <laughs> There it is. The exclusive character of Jesus our Lord. There's never been another one who came before nor since nor ever will be. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and he's the end. And he is our life. You remember what uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church? We, pe we preach Christ and him crucified. <laughs> Nothing's changed. North Fort Worth has one message for the world around you. This complicated, crowded, angry, violent world. We have one message. Christ Jesus and him crucified. We must make sure that every breathing soul in Tarrant County and beyond knows that he has come that we might have a life and have it more abundantly. Amen. Amen. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, there is no other name whereby we can be saved. Jesus, the transfigured Son of God. Father, take these feeble words. Let them sink into our hearts. Don't let us forget who we are and who you are. 
Now, there's a man in the room. There's a woman in the room this morning who's never confessed you as Lord. Would you let this be the morning for them to confess you? Somebody needs to come and be added to this fellowship. Bring them, Father. In Jesus' name. Now, while their heads are still bowed, right there where you're seated, you didn't come expecting to do anything this morning. You just came to church. But could it be this morning that Jesus has spoken to your heart? Do you feel the need for his saving grace in your heart? For forgiveness for your sins? Before we sing together, right while you're seated right there, would you just let me lead you in a prayer? You just pray with me these words to him. Lord Jesus, Son of God, thank you for coming. Thank you for offering life. Right now, I receive from you your life. Take my sins and fill my heart instead with your love and presence. And let me be a true follower of you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.